Hey, this is Pastor Jesse of City Lights Church, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you and confirms the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality in our lives that you get to live out. You get to be God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting news. We also hope that our messages challenge your identity to help you understand who you really are in Christ. I hope that you're blessed by this message today. I am excited, and I would say I apologize, but I'm not going to apologize because I feel like I'm going to kind of just unleash on you guys this morning. Is that all right? So you guys, some of you guys stayed to the back just in case. Um, what did you say, Ben? Oh, Ben says do it, and he's in the back. He's like, go ahead, unleash. I'm back here where it's safe. So, uh, no, I feel like I, I'm kind of raw a little bit this morning. There's a lot in my heart, um, and it was so funny. Like, we, we literally planned this this topic, today's message, out months ago, um, about two months ago, I think, and it's funny because we didn't really talk about any details, and Martin's up here sharing parts of my message, so thank you, Martin, for that. Uh, I just love when the Holy Spirit confirms things, though. That's exactly what it is. The Holy Spirit shows up and confirms things uh, to me. So uh, there's a lot in my heart this morning. Um, we've been in this series, the This Is That series, and for those of you who haven't been kind of on this ride with us over the last few weeks, I want to recap a few of the things, and this is the final week of that series. Uh, we're heading into something new next week, which we're really excited about as well. But we looked at the foundations of Pentecostalism, like the church, the church, every church was born the day of Pentecost. Like that's when the church had its move. Like, this is that. The Holy Spirit has come, and we are empowered, and now we are on mission. Like, before that, what does Jesus tell the disciples to do? Wait. Don't do anything. And then the day of Pentecost arrives, and we are empowered. And Ben preached a great message a few weeks ago that when the Holy Spirit came, it's now on all flesh. Say all flesh. It was no longer kings, priests, and prophets. It was all flesh. He was pouring out his spirit. And then I talked about tongues and prophecy, um, which is controversial and scary and terrifying. But I talked about how both of those things today in the life of a church are given to us for the ultimate reason of glorifying God. Not to put on some kind of crazy show, but to glorify God, to bring people to him. Does that make sense? And then a few weeks ago, I talked about how we live in this tension now, this radical middle, where we are no longer just citizens of earth, but we are citizens of heaven here bringing heaven to earth. Like, that is our responsibility. That's who we are now in Christ. Because of the Holy Spirit's arrival, this is that. This is that time. We are in those days. These last days started the day of Pentecost, and it's still happening right now. We are in this middle. And then last week, Tim preached, and and Ashley and I listened to the podcast this week while we were driving to Sacramento from San Francisco, and Tim did an excellent job sharing how you and I are all missionaries. Like, you and I all missionaries, not just Tim, not just pastors, all of us, and there's a mission field right here. Uh, who, who was here last week and heard Tim? Let, let's give him a round of applause for sharing his heart. That was, that was good. Um, it, was, it, was, it was good to hear that word. So um, that's kind of where we are at in this journey, and this morning, I feel like I have a word to share for you, um, but before I share it, would you make that video ready? We have a short video clip for you. There you go. That was unexpected, wasn't it? 
Um, they can't make commercials like that in the U.S., I don't think. Ben and I found another one of their commercials. That's even more terrifying. Um, I, I, would, I chose not to show that one today. Um, that's unexpected. I would say in our life, we are regularly encountering unexpected things. But the truth is, the believer, the Christian spirit-filled and empowered believer is to, to live in the realm of the unexpected. We expect the unexpected. We believe for extraordinary, strange things to occur as if they're normal. Like, that's what we're supposed to believe for. Like, we live in that place. This morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter, we're going to start in chapter 6. Um, this morning, I want to say a few things, though, before we get into this. Acts, the book of Acts, is not a story or not a collection of story about dead heroes. It's not what it's about. This book is not written so that you have, you know, like Homer's Iliad and Odyssey or, or some kind of like t- the tale of like, like Abraham Lincoln even. This book is not just a historical document so that you can look at these old heroes and think that's a cool story. It's not about dead heroes. The book of Acts is the example of how God builds his church and declares his glory. It's a model for us of what our life is to look like now. It's not dead, old days gone by, okay? Anybody believe that this morning? Just curious, because if you don't believe that, the rest of the service is just like going to be a bunch of gibberish for you. Like, the book of Acts is not a book of dead heroes. It's a model for us. So when we look at this text, we have to think, this is speaking something to me now. This is what I need to learn and receive out of this passage. Go to chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, and complaint, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set up, set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. We're going to stop there. I want you to see something here. So basically, the early church is beginning to multiply. This is after the day of Pentecost. God's pouring out the Spirit. People are coming together. And what you're seeing is the church is living in communities. They're living in close communities. And, and all of a sudden, there's some... This, there's some conflict. These women, these widows are being taken care of, but these widows are not being taken care of. And the apostles and the preachers of the church are like, I can't keep going around feeding all the widows. So let's find some good men that can feed the widows. And they find some good men. And the first one we see, this guy named Stephen. Who's ever heard of Stephen before? How many guys know a guy named Steve? I'm <laughs> just curious. It's not the same guy, but the, his name has trickled down through history. Stephen, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, right? And then, and Philip, 
and Prochorus and a bunch of other names that we can't pronounce because we don't speak them today, except we do say Philip, right? This morning, we're not looking at Stephen. This morning, I want you to look at Philip. It doesn't describe him very, in any way, really, does it? We see Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit. We, we see that there's this like, word over him put here in this passage. And then Philip is just listed, right? He's just a guy, listed. Not really the center of attention here. Hey, Philip, you're a good dude. Why don't you uh, go feed the widows? Why don't you feed some people in the church who are hungry? Just do this task for us, right? But he's a good guy. He's faithful. But, but go do this. Go do this. Go serve. Go feed the widows. This is chapter 6. Now let's go to chapter 8. Can we do that? You guys still with me this morning? You're still disturbed by the bird laying on the ground in front of that car. I apologize. Verse 26. Now, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official at Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated on his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before his shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this, his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scriptures, with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I'm going to pause there. I'm actually going to come back to this for a second. Go to verse 1 of chapter 8. I want you to see what happened before this moment. So we saw in chapter 6 that Philip is appointed to, to help with the widows. And then we hear the story later on of Stephen preaching the gospel and how Stephen is stoned to death. And Saul, who becomes Paul later on, is standing there holding the garments so others can throw stones and kill Stephen. Stephen is the first martyr for the faith, for the cause of the gospel. He's the first one to die. Verse 1 in chapter 8, And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devote men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed them to Christ. I want you to see something there. Philip, who's just called out to feed the widows, the church begins to be persecuted, and the apostles stay in the persecution. But everybody else in the church, what do they do? They scatter. What does Philip do? He scatters. <laughs> Philip is feeding the widows. 
They start being persecuted and martyred and killed, and Saul's on a rampage, taking people off to prison, trying to kill them here in, in Jerusalem. And Philip's like, I need to leave. But he doesn't just leave and hide. He leaves and proclaims the gospel. He keeps preaching Christ and him crucified and glorified and salvation in Christ. He keeps being empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was once just feeding the widows, and now he's on the run, and he's preaching anyway, right? So he's not preaching in the hardest of places. This is not like Philip is like this great, adventurous, I'm going to go out into the Amazon to headhunters and to cannibals and preach the gospel, and if they eat me, they eat me. They eat me. That's not Philip at all. Philip's like, I need to go where it's safe, but I'm still going to preach Jesus. I'm still going to go. I'm going to find a safe place to live, and I'm going to preach Jesus. Philip is not like really this hero figure. He's just obedient. He's just doing what the Spirit says, and he's trying to find a safe place to live. That makes sense. You guys still with me? He's boldly proclaiming Christ, even though he's trying to find a safe place to live. Then we pick up to this passage, and the angel of the Lord says to Philip, go south. And he goes to the south, and he goes to a desert place. And he sees a eunuch. I don't know if you guys know what eunuchs are. You can look them up on Wikipedia or something if you would like. I don't need a diagrams or anything this morning. Um, but he goes to the desert, and he finds this one eunuch in a chariot, and this eunuch is an official of the queen of the Ethiopians. He has high ranking for being a slave. He's a slave with influence. And God just sends Philip there, who was previously just feeding widows, and now he's here in a desert place, and there's a slave from, from a queen. And he sees this guy reading the scripture, and God says, go over and talk to him. And he begins to expand, expound to him what the word of God says. Hey, this is Christ. Let's pick up back here. Teaching them the good news about Jesus. This is verse 36. And they were going along the road. They came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Pause there again. This guy is a eunuch. He's a slave. He's got no lot in life. He's got no stake in life other than serving the queen of the Ethiopians. And he finds the gospel through Philip's words, through this divine appointment, being led by the Spirit into a desert place, right? How do you guys expect something cool to happen in a desert? Nobody. That's why like, most people don't vacation to the desert. If you do, there's something wrong with you. Like, and we, should talk, we should talk later. He's in the desert place, and he sees this, this, this eunuch with, with influence, and he shares the gospel, and the very first thing this brand new eunuch from Africa says is, hey, what stops me from being baptized? And Philip goes, nothing. Here's some water in this desert place. I don't know where that came from. God's doing something cool here today. Let's baptize you. If any of you guys haven't been baptized, I know a cool place with water at Steamtown Church tonight. Um, Jesus literally tells the church to do two things. Have communion and be baptized. If you are a part of the body of Christ and you have not been baptized, what prevents you from being baptized? It's you coming into salvation, you coming into faith saying, this is my new life. A eunuch from Africa with no religious experience receives the word of God and says, what's stopping me? And Philip goes, nothing, let's do this, right? It's this awesome moment, and I would love to include you into that moment tonight as well. So please, come grab me. Nothing prevents you. 
If you have received Christ, nothing should prevent you. So come, let's be baptized tonight. Anyway, that's not my message, but it fit perfectly, didn't it? Anyway. Let's look at the very next verse. This is verse 39, and this is what I really want to hit on today. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, I think that's correct, and he passed through and preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. I want you to follow this. Okay. I'm Philip. Hey, Philip, you're part of the believers. Feed the widows. Sure. Here's some bread. Here's some bread. Here's some bread. They, they trust me with bread, guys. They trust me with bread. Okay, my friends are dying. My friends are dying. I'm going to leave. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. I'm leaving. I'm going to a safe place. And the Spirit says, go down to the desert. And Philip's like, all right, going to the desert hey, there's a eunuch in a chariot on a desert who knows the queen of Ethiopia. Go share the gospel. Hey, here's a random pond in the desert place. Baptize him. He baptizes him. And then they come up out of the water and where'd Philip go? Now imagine you're the eunuch in this situation. First of all, you're a eunuch, so you already had a crazy life, right? And you encounter this guy on the road to explain the text that you're wrestling with. And he explains it to you. And then he says, hey, can I be baptized too? And the guy's like, yes, let's do it. You're baptized by this guy. When you come out out of the water, the guy's gone. Like, you're in a desert. There's not a lot of places to hide in a desert place. And he's gone. And what's the response of the eunuch? The eunuch saw him no, no more and went on his way rejoicing. This is literally the passage that we understand. This is how Africa came to know faith in Christ. This is the moment that Africa received the gospel. This is that moment. And it's insane. He disappears. And what's Philip do? He, he, he's in a desert with a eunuch, baptizing him. And he's like, I, I, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Whoa, I am at a beach. Where, how did I get to the beach? Literally, this place is the coastal region. So he goes from a desert to a beach. And what does he do when he finds himself at the beach? I'm going to preach the gospel. And he winds his way down to Caesarea where it seems like he ends up establishing himself and having a family. And we know later on that he has daughters and the daughters become prophetess. They continue to work in the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want to point out something here to you. Philip did not have a paradigm or an example that said, hey, one day the Lord's just going to Take me away and put me on a beach. I'm just going to go from one part of the country, one part of the world to another part in a blink of an eye. Because that's normal, right? Like, this is the year 2018. Like, have you guys ever heard any of, uh, what's the guy who, from Tesla? Um, yeah, Elon Musk, right? You listen to some of his things, and you're like, you're, you're, you're freaking me out a little bit, boss. Like, technology is nuts. He's still not talking about us going from a desert to a beach. Like, this is before technology, right? This is before Star Trek came out. There's no paradigm for this. This is an unexpected moment. This is a miracle, right? And God does this crazy thing as a model for us today of how he will proclaim his glory, how he will share his word through everybody in strange ways that you and I never expect. He will do whatever he wants to do to declare his goodness.
I want to point out that he's in a desert place when this happens. Just because you're in a desert place doesn't mean God's not doing the miraculous. Just because you're in a hardship, in a hard time, doesn't mean he's still not planning on using you in ways you cannot even begin to comprehend or imagine. Philip did not have a paradigm for this. He did not have a thought that this is going to happen in his life. He simply walked in obedience, being led by the Spirit, and next thing you know, God does the miraculous. And Africa is changed. No amens to that. Some of you guys just haven't been to Africa, apparently. Africa's changed with the gospel because of this moment. This is the good news going to the edges of the world through a miraculous moment that this guy wasn't planning for. The Spirit carried him away. See, God, I want you to know this morning, God does what he wants. And he wants you, and he wants his glory shown. He wants his kingdom brought to the earth. What if we got out of our broken boxes that we put God in? What, what, if, what if we got out of those things? What if we stopped saying this is how God typically operates and this is what he can do in this situation? What if we began to believe in the miraculous and we began to expect the unexpected? What if we just listened? Tim was sharing last week about how we are all missionaries to this area. Um, One of the speakers of the conference shared this thought, and I think it's completely, it's it's just truth. You ever hear something and you just know that's true? Like that's, that's just truth? He said this, he who has the most hope has the most influence. Who carries the most hope in the city of Scranton? It should be, right? What if we just had the most hope for this city and then we began to have the most influence and God began to do the unexpected because we expect him to? Like, what if that was just the reality that we believed? What if that was the framework that we think in? Like, God, you are the God of miracles, so I'm just going to believe you to do beyond what I can think. What if we got out of those broken boxes that we define our city or define our life by? What if Philip just said, you know, I'm just supposed to feed the widows. I can't really do anything more. I'm not going to talk to this eunuch with authority. Like that, I, I'm not good at explaining the text. What, what if he just limited himself to that? What if when God said, go to the desert, he's like, ah, it's too dry for me. I won't have enough blankets for the cold nights and I won't have enough water bottles for the, the hot days. What if I, I don't like scorpions, right? I don't like snakes. And God's like, go to the desert. And he's like, okay, I will. That's what happened. He just, he just responded. He didn't make up these lists of why he couldn't or shouldn't. He just did it. This morning, I want to ask you, what are you believing for? What, what, what miracles, what, what hope do you need to have even in this moment right now? Where have you been robbed of hope? I was listening to a message by Pastor Jared a few weeks ago, and he said this. He's like, we always take the good news and turn it into a good deal. What he means by that is what we do when it comes to the supernatural or even our salvation. So if it's salvation, we're like, hey, yeah, we're saved through faith in Christ alone, but I got to do all these things to really be saved. You guys know what I'm talking about? 
So we take the gospel, which is the good news, and we turn it into a good deal. But we even go beyond that with our callings and the giftings. So, yeah, that guy could have the gift of prophecy. That guy could have the gift of discernment. That guy could preach and lead people to salvation. That guy can do that. But I just have this because I don't have these credentials, right? We always turn the good thing of God's free gifts to us we always turn a, a good, his good news into a good deal. If I did this, if I went to that college, if I said these right things, if I had this kind of training, if I did that, then God would pour these kind of blessings out into my life. We always turn his good gospel, his good news into a good deal, and it's not a good deal. Like, the unexpected is for average dudes. And women, dudettes. I don't, I don't know what the other form of dudes is. I was in California, so give me a break, guys, okay? We, we, always, we always make some kind of system that if we do these things, then God will do the miraculous. And he's like, no, I just want you to listen to me, follow me, abide in me. Galatians chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, it says this. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. God saved you through faith. God does miracles through you in faith. It's a free gift. It's a free thing. The gift and the work of the Spirit is free. You don't earn a move of the Spirit. You yield to it. We yield to the move of the Spirit. The best thing that you can do to have God move is to get out of His way. Just get out of his way. Get, get rid of pride. Get rid of false humility. Because that's another form of pride. That doesn't yield to the goodness, the sovereignty of God. Just get out of his way. What if we just walk in obedience? We abide in Christ and we just trust God. We, as a church, our responsibility is to focus on the finished work of the cross and to ask the Holy Spirit to interrupt us along the way. We say, thank you, Christ, that you have completed this work. We can do church. We can have buildings and we can celebrate the Lord's table and we can have worship services. But our goal is to not just do these things you've asked us to do, but to be yielded to the move of the Holy Spirit. If he wants to come and wreck our whole service, if he wants to wreck our whole week, we let him do it. That is what we are called to. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. You guys still with me this morning? You guys okay? Verse 20 through 21 says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, say far more abundantly, than all we ask or think, say ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Look, uh, work within us. Not without us, outside of us, within us. The power within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the statement here. Like God does more than we can imagine. He is the God of the unexpected. More than we can even ask for and think of. He goes beyond that because it's the power of Christ within us. Within us. You and I. Average Phillips walking around. 
Doing what we can, serving the poor, loving on our family, loving on the people in the city. And God just says, hey, I'm going to do more than you asked or thought you could do. Just be obedient. To the glory, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. So that's here in this body, his glory happening, and in Christ, the work of the cross, when? Throughout all generations, forever and ever. That means today, in case you didn't pick that up. In case you don't know what forever and ever means, it means forever and ever. Like, happily ever, ever. Ever after. Like, that's still now. It's still happening. Like, this is what Ephesians tells us. This is what Paul reminds us of. That God does more than we want. God does crazy things, more than we can even ask or think. Now, I know what some of you guys are thinking here this morning. You see, Jesse, well, that's not my experience. I'm hurting right now. I'm frustrated right now. We do not let our experience define God. This passage says all generations. And there are plenty of times in my generation I do not feel like God has done all that I've asked or thought. I want you to know that miracles and healing are not science. We trust God for them. We believe him for them. And we ask for glimpses of heaven until Christ comes and fully ushers heaven down. But sometimes we don't taste it the way we want to. Like I said at the beginning of this message, I was celebrating life this time, but the last time I was there, I was celebrating, I was mourning loss. People around the world, the same church, same group of people praying for one sees death, and the next one we see that boy is miraculously healed. Right? We've prayed for people with cancer and we've grieved their loss. And then the next time we literally pray for people with cancer and they are miraculously healed. Like, doctors don't understand it. Doctors can't scientifically prove it. They don't know how this works, right? I've literally seen that happen in our lives many times where you pray for one and nothing happens. You pray for the next and incredibly unexplainable, awesome miracles happen and God is glorified. I don't understand these things. Just last Saturday or Sunday morning, I woke up to two different text messages from loved ones in this church who've lost somebody. And it breaks my heart. But we do not let those moments define the God of the impossible. You're the God of miracles. It was written by a, another man named Chris. It was written right after him and his wife had their their baby, and it passed. Not my friend Chris, but another Chris. In the midst of mourning, he still wrote the lyrics to a song like, you are the God of miracles. The God that brings the dead to life. His, his life, his blood is thro- flowing through my veins. It's who he is. We have these tastes. We have these glimpses. And we have to be people who stay in that position that says, Death does not define me, but God's word defines me. And I will continue to contend for it. I will continue to press in for this. Martin said this morning exactly what I wanted to say. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. You can't have faith for something you see all the time. Right? Like, what would happen if you walked outside tonight and you saw a bunch of shooting stars? And then the next night you saw shooting stars. And the next night you saw shooting stars. You would begin to think, hey, shooting stars happen all the time. It's not something rare. 
And I'm not saying that God wants to do miracles rarely. I'm saying that we get these tastes as we continue to usher in. We continue to contend for them. We believe that we are people led by the Spirit, asking God to do the impossible. And when things don't go the way we plan, we don't rebuke Him or ourselves. We say, God, keep ushering more of your kingdom. I was at Bethel Church this week, which is known for the miraculous happening. They prayed for Bill's dad, who was the founding pastor, the lead pastor of that church for a while. And he died of cancer. Their response was to not stop praying for cancer. Their response was, we are going to contend to never see cancer take another life in this church again. To where literally they have so many people coming to that church that are healed of cancer every year. It's like their, it's their biggest miracle there. Why? Because they push past what they see. And they contend in faith, hope for something different. I hope I contend for a city of Scranton that's not bound by heroin addiction. I have hope for that day. I have hope that we will see people coming out of sex trafficking and out of human slavery into a life of freedom that gets the gospel. I have hope for that. I have hope to see miracles happen. This morning, I want you to understand that that miracles and healings are not science. They're not science. I don't know how this works, but I do know that God does work. That he shows up, and he's always about his glory. And I won't pretend to understand why we go through brokenness. I will not pretend to do that. But I do know that he will always be glorified, and he has not come off his throne for one day. He still sits on the throne. Does anybody else believe that this morning? The church in my mind at City Lights... There's a church that has celebratory worship of a living Savior and a good God that we're regularly interrupted by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we dedicate time to sit at the Lord's table. We are empowered and cre- with creative ways to impact this city, that we are a community of disciples making new disciples. We are disciples that are here to see broken hearts healed, blind eyes open, prophetic words heard and received, the barren womb bringing forth life, the lame and the crippled rising and walking, the joy of the Lord replacing fear and depression, the power of the Spirit breaking the power of addictions. I desire to see a church moving forward as a family, walking in its true identity as sons and daughters. That's my vision for City Lights Church. And And I ask, do you have hope for the same thing? Do you believe the same thing is the reality that God's calling us to? Do you believe that, Mike, do you believe that's the reality God's calling us to? Do you believe that's the reality that God's calling us to? I don't, I mean, you have to believe this. Like, we are, we are meant to be people of faith, moving forward in a direction that we don't currently see, but we have hope for it. We grab onto it, we contend for it, we go after it. Like, I, I've got a taste in my mind of something I haven't fully seen yet, but I'm going to keep going until I want it. You ever get a craving for something, right? Like, you just can't stop until you get there. I was in California for the last two, days, two years. I couldn't wait for In-N-Out Burger. I ate an In-N-Out Burger, double-double animal style, three different times. Completely unhealthy. <laughs> but I had a taste for it, and I wanted more of it, right? And I'm telling you, I have a taste for the supernatural. I have a taste in the God who goes beyond what we expect and does the miraculous and transforms the world. And, I, and I'm hoping that you would be people that would just believe, believe in God enough 
And, and maybe you just trust me enough to go along with me on this journey, to contend for it in your own homes, to contend for it in your own lives. And when disappointment and failure and frustration and trial and death and persecution and all those things come into our lives, we do not stop, but we press in. We move forward for this thing. This morning, I want to ask you, what are your expectations? He is a God that goes beyond the rational and dwells in the miraculous. If you need another example, take what was once your cold, empty heart that has now been transformed by the power of the gospel into a a life-giving, new, resurrected heart. If you, need, if you need an example of the God of the miraculous, just look at your own heart that was once stone cold and broken and now is full of life and love. Just like, let that be your first example and then let that example lead into an expectation for other miracles to happen around you. Would you stand with me? This morning we, we're closing this, the This Is That series with an awareness that we believe this is that moment. This is, these are those days where God pours out His Spirit on all flesh and that we prophesy, we see visions, we have dreams, and the gospel is proclaimed to the ends of the earth. And each one of us in this room have a responsibility to yield to that. We have a call to go out and proclaim His gospel. We have a call to expect the unexpected in our own homes, in our lives, and in the city. This morning, I want to ask you, do you expect the unexpected? We're going to have our prayer team line up along the side here as we go into worship. And I want to invite you, if you need prayer for one of two things, if you need a miracle that doesn't make sense, that goes beyond what makes sense. it makes sense? <laughs> you guys get it. You just need a miracle. Miracles are miracles. If you need a miracle, go over there. And I would also say, if you need hope because you're, you're feeling pretty hopeless, you're not expecting the unexpected, you don't understand the things that you've walked through, then I would ask you to go get prayer as well. As well, We have to have hope before we can believe in miracles. We, we have to be a people that move not only in love, but hope as well. I think the Christian church loves to put their emphasis on love, which is good. We need that. But then we forget about hope and we're a bunch of happy, loving pessimists. That is not an accurate portrayal of the good news of the gospel. We, are the mo- we should be the most hopeful people in the city. He who has the most hope has the most impact. We're, uh, where's our prayer team? If our prayer team could go over there, and I want to invite you, receive some prayer, and let's worship together for a few more moments. 